Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 168 of We Have Cancer. Happy New Year to all of you, and thank you so much for joining us. A lot to get to today as we start the new year. I'm really excited about this new venture that I mentioned in the last episode, in episode 167. But the We Have Cancer Show podcast is going to start partnering with Campaign One at a Time. Campaign One at a Time is a nonprofit whose mission is to provide positive experiences and fulfill the dreams of children fighting life-threatening illness, one child, and one campaign at a time. As a current cancer patient and a survivor of childhood cancer myself, this organization is near and dear to my heart. And if you recall back on episode 166, I interviewed the founder and CEO, Brody Nicholas. And you can listen to our interview again if you missed it at wehavecancershow.com forward slash Brody, B-O-R-O-D-I, and learn more about the amazing work that they are doing. But what we are going to do is in each episode, profile their child of the month. And so you can hear Brody's going to come on to the show each episode, talk about that child and what their dreams are. And if you have the means or know people who have the means to help support the campaign for each of these children, it would make an amazing difference in their life. So if you can support, please do. And you'll hear Brody talk about our first child of the month for 2021, and his name is Mason. And you'll hear Brody come on the show in just a little bit. My guests this week, and I have to make sure I say that plural because we've got two, are Shelly Buck and Kathy Curtis. They're childhood friends, and together they wrote the book, Leave Your Light On, the musical mantra left behind by an illuminating spirit. And that illuminating spirit is Shelly's son, Ryder. Ryder was diagnosed with testicular cancer at the age of 22, came through the surgery and treatment successfully, only to lose his life several months later in a tragic accident. You can learn more about Shelly and the book and their story a number of ways on their website at leaveyourlightonbook.com. You can follow Shelly, and her name is spelled S-H-E-L-L-E-Y, Shelly Buck at Facebook, on Twitter at ShellBuckaroos5, so I'll spell that for you, S-H-E-L-B-U-C-K-E-R-O-O-S-5, the number five, and on Instagram at ShellRay, R-A-E, ShellRayBuck. You can learn more about all of the elements of this touching and inspiring story about Shelley's son, Ryder. So join me now for my conversation with Shelley Buck and Kathy Curtis. Hi, 
Shelly, Kathy, thank you so much for the generosity of your time and for coming on the We Have Cancer podcast. I greatly appreciate it. And Shelly, where I want to start is as a pediatric cancer survivor myself, it wasn't until I got older that it really resonated with me what it must have felt like for my parents to hear the words, your child has cancer. What was your reaction when you got that phone call, Shelly? I was breathless. It came from my son, not the doctor, because he was 22. So I had to get special permission to talk to the doctor, which Ryder was reluctant to get for me. He was too busy at the time. And that was all I could think about was getting the real report from the doctor, not just I have cancer. So it put me into a spin of activity, research, finding finding an oncologist and a surgeon we just we just had our work cut out for us and i went and i went to battle yeah you know you said that he was 22 but as the parents of uh, adult men they're still my kids right it doesn't matter right. how old they are right they're still your kids absolutely and i babied him yeah how did that experience alone change you and change your relationship? Well, I had to learn very quickly what he had been trying to teach me his whole life, which was to let go and back off and let him take the lead, even though he didn't really want to be bothered with the details of his condition. So I had to be there, and I was there every day that he was inpatient for about eight hours a day. And to the point where the doctor started rolling his eyes at me and going, you're here again, you know, still. <laughs> but but I had to learn to give Ryder a long leash, if not no leash at times, so that he could feel that he was in the driver's seat, even though, like I said, he didn't really want to be bothered with the details. Was that hard for you? Very hard. He'd been trying to get me to do that from the time he was an infant in the crib, you know, because I'm this enthusiastic character and he is a mellow, chill, you know, relaxed guy. And when I would greet him in the morning, good morning, honey, he would recoil and, <laughs> and you know, make it very clear that that was not the vibe he wanted. And that's the way he grew up. I mean, there were two more boys in the house after Ryder, and they kind of kept the activity up, and so did I. And so he had to find his space and his quiet and his meditative area, sometimes in the backyard. But if he felt well enough, even between his treatments, he would take off and go places like the mountains or the beach or up the coast to a concert. Dodger Stadium. He was all over the map and I had to just let go. Kathy, the one of the words that was used in the book to describe writer was exasperating. <laughs> yeah. Being such a close and, and going back to childhood friend of Shelley's, would you say that's accurate? Oh, I would, yes. Um I mean, you know, I I knew the side of writer that was peaceful and warm and loving and really beyond his years in terms of just the way that he would make you feel that he was, you know, you were the only person in the room when he was talking to you. He had an amazing energy, but, 
Yeah, I, I have a memory of flying off to California around the time I think Ryder was maybe 15. And he had just ordered some ninja, you know, dangerous tool on the internet with his mom's credit card without her permission. And so when Shelly picked me up at the airport, she was just, you know, fuming. And so we got back to the house and Ryder was grounded and upset and mad. And and so I, you know, I saw all sides of him, but having been apart from them while he was going through the cancer, I know there were times that he was exasperating during that whole, you know, his whole treatment phase. So (laughs) he's a character. Yeah. How, how did he handle the treatment, Shelley? He was very compliant. I was really proud of him. And mostly we made it on time to his appointments, not always to my consternation. But once once I remember him really dragging his feet, getting out of the house, taking an extra long shower, taking an extra long time with breakfast, spending time with his dog. And I was watching the clock because I knew if we didn't get to the lab on time, we were going to be behind a dozen other people, which is exactly what happened. And he had to wait half the day for his treatment to start. But mostly, he was very compliant. He was uh, he was a real trooper, and I was really proud of him. And the way he he treated the nurses and the doctor was very respectful. He was a good he was a good patient. Hi, everybody. My name is Brody Nicholas, and I lead nonprofit campaign one at a time. First off, I just want to give a huge thank you to Lee for this awesome opportunity. I absolutely love what he's doing here on the We Have Cancer show, and I'm honored to be able to share some of our campaign kid stories with all of you. So this month, we are sponsoring a 14-year-old cancer patient from Ripon, California, named Mason. Mason was diagnosed with ependymoma in January of 2017, and after multiple battles and surgeries, is now facing two new tumors in his lower spine. Mason loves to hunt and fish, but has had to cancel a few trips when his cancers come back. He's gone through so much over the last few years, and it's been tough on the whole family. We're on a mission to raise $10,000 this month to send Mason and his family on a fishing trip of a lifetime and provide them all with some extra joy and support. You can learn more about Mason's campaign by visiting wehavecantorshow.com forward slash Mason. Thank you all for listening, and let's keep spreading good together so that no child battling severe illness ever feels alone. Kathy, knowing that you and Shelly are lifelong friends, what did it mean to you to be able to tell this story in the book, Leave Your Light On? Oh, my. I it's It was a big honor. I mean, truly a big honor and a big responsibility because I wanted to make the book, I wanted to make sure that if there is a way I could help, portray writer the way writer would want to be portrayed the way he honestly saw himself and the the legacy that he wanted to leave I wanted to be able to you know never lose sight of that so it was the culmination of you know so many years of being friends with Shelley and so many years of having done work in my own life that led to me being truly the perfect person to help her do the book and we found a lot of wonder in that in the way that it almost felt like destiny that 
the work I had done as a writer, as a program facilitator for people going through grief, you know, as, just like my whole spiritual journey, everything that I had done in my life helped me show up ready to hit the ground running when it came time to make the book. So, yeah. Shelly, why the title? Leave the light on. The title of the book is, it really reflects who Ryder is and was. His light is what brought us through everything. It's shown throughout his life. But really, the title of the book is the title of the first song Ryder ever wrote. So those two things coming together, the fact that the book is really about his light and how it's shown in the world and how it just emanated from him, it made it an obvious choice. What would you think about all this fuss being made over him now? The book, a character named after him in, in your husband's movie, Frozen 2. Is he rolling his eyes or is he or is he strutting? He is loving it. Absolutely loving it. Yeah, Ryder was, was very in, engaged with the process of Frozen. I mean, he didn't do it, but he was really present for his dad's five, six-year work schedule. And uh, so Ryder, I think, is, is very pleased. He actually said to me, and this was posthumously, I got it in kind of a message from him, write my story, Mom. So this came with his blessing. This whole project was really something that he wanted to see done. You know, Shelly, I love how you put that. And it's it's such a segue to the next question that I wanted to ask you. As a cancer patient myself for nine, almost 10 years now, and, you know, the word I hate the most is lose. He lost his battle to cancer or we lost a, love, a loved one. And... Do you subscribe to that word? It doesn't sound like you subscribe to that word that you lost him. It sounds like he's part of your life every minute of every day. He absolutely is presence that we that we deal with. And um his light and the and his presence and his messages and his little signs and his big signs are what get me through. When he first passed. And I don't say died because it feels too final. I say passed because that's how I believe it happens. He goes on to another life. I was so deep in my grief and without his messages and his contact and just the light that I could feel from him, I don't know, I would have disintegrated. So no, I feel like our, our relationship is different, but it's still present. I mean, I talk to him all the time, and I often get answers. What about his dad and his brothers? Uh, the brothers tolerate me. His dad, <laughs> his dad is curious, and he's had his own experiences with Ryder showing up. And the boys have also had, had some experience with it, but mostly they just, they just roll their eyes at me. And you're okay <laughs> with that, right? I'm fine. <laughs> Kathy, you know, I, I think one of the, I'm, I'm at a loss for the word, but one of the most uh, honorable is not the word I want to use. It's the only one that comes to mind is someone who can help someone through grief. 
and that's something you do, but what did it mean to have, be able to provide that type of support to a family so close to you? <laughs> that's a really good question because I had, you know, spent many years working with other people and really the way that I do it was working so well for people, but I couldn't get there with Shelly. And so not only was I, I I don't know, like that, that upset me, but also I was going through my own grief about Ryder. And so it felt very complicated and I just kept, you know, to use a phrase, I kept letting it go. We talked a lot. I would, you know, suggest things when she was really, really struggling. Writing is uh, the tool that I've worked with other people. And I could almost hear her go, yeah, yeah, well, you know. And, and to have her do that, it was like she just, people have to be ready. And I know that. But I wanted to be able to help her more than I felt I could. But, you know, in the end, I believe that when she was ready to write the book, that's when she was ready for me. And somehow, you know, our work together on the book, we were on the phone every single day for two years. So we've lived across the country from each other. We've gone months before without, you know, talking all the time. But during the writing of the book, we were on the phone every single day and there were there were challenging parts of writing the book because i had to i had to tell her at times you know what i don't think that part belongs in the book the book that we have decided to write about writer i'm not sure that memory serves the book and she would cry and she would have a, I mean, she's, she's stubborn. And so when you ask her to do anything, she's not ready for her, watch out. But we went through some really in-depth friendship, relationship, um, testing moments in the writing of the book. But I feel that the amount of, of healing that I saw her do during the writing of the book was what I hoped I would do earlier on. But, you know, you can't dictate time on grief. Shelly, what's Kathy's friendship and support meant to you throughout all of this? Well, for our entire lives, we've been best friends. And whether we were speaking on a regular or not, I always knew Kathy was there. And we've grown in parallel fashion. Sometimes she's leading Sometimes I'm leading and we always come back together and have, you know, incredible notes for one another through our, our young adulthood and all the way till now. So having Kathy as part of the book was absolutely crucial. And I have to tell a story on myself, unless you want to tell it, Kathy. (laughs) I had a, I had a, an advisor when I when I got ready to take the the journal that I had kept from the time Ryder was diagnosed past his passing. I wrote in it for about five years. He suggested that I get a ghostwriter, and I was at my wit's end. Where am I going to come up with someone that I can trust with this? So I called Kathy and I said, "I don't know what to do," and she's like, "Um." Well, this is I got what a thing I for you. I know somebody. 
I, I got hit with a sledgehammer. I felt like such a dope, but you know, it was the obvious choice. And of course, from there on, we were off and running and it, it has meant the world to me because I could bear my soul and Kathy knows me thoroughly and intimately. And she knows Ryder really, really well. And she was obviously the right person. I just couldn't see it. Was the process of writing the book also a, a, a grieving process at the same time? Oh, absolutely. I had to go back through his whole life and the process of the cancer, the cancer treatment, but then he passed and it wasn't from cancer. I have to, I have to add that he got hit by two cars walking home from his broken down car on the freeway one foggy morning. And that was it. You know, we had been, he had been cleared of cancer and suddenly he was on the other side. So absolutely, because I had to go through everything and, and examine it and process it again and again and again, because you don't write a book once you write it several times and you read it several more times. So yes, I was, I was spending a lot of time processing everything. And that was where, you know, Kathy's gentle hand came in and really, really helped me get through the harder parts. How has his passing affected your family over the years, Shelley? Well, there's a big hole at the dinner table and his presence, well, he was a musician and a performer. So we were regularly going to his performances. He is missed. You know, my middle son became my eldest son. My, my baby who played off of him, they had a contentious but loving relationship their whole lives. He had no one to fight with anymore. And, you know, there were five. Now there are four, except for his presence that pretty much I bring in and I don't hold back. I share it and I, and I emphasize it and I tell stories and play his music, which they don't always, they don't always welcome the music and the videos, but I live for them. So it's just part of our lives. So they're definitely coping differently in a different way, I should say, than you are. Every, every one of us has a different way. My husband needed solitude in the beginning, and I had to be surrounded by people. When the, when the people started to dissipate, uh, I, was, I was becoming ready, but I, I was a little bit frantic at the beginning. When there, when there weren't people around, I didn't know what to do with myself or my grief. I would sit down at the computer and watch writers' performances. I would get in my car. And to this day, I only have his CDs in my car. And when I play them, I feel like he's sitting right beside me in the passenger seat. So that's how I bring him close. And the others, um, they've had a dream here or there where they felt connected. Sometimes we talk about Ryder. Sometimes one of them in a quiet moment will say, I miss him. But yeah, my husband's been visited and he's had his own experience. 
Kathy, in your, you know, grief support, were you working just with Shelly or other members of the family? Well, I went out there when Ryder passed in October of 2013, and I went out there at Christmas, and I worked with each one of the family individually. I thought we might do it as a group, and I, I do that with other families because the writing that people do when they're grieving brings so much out that they don't typically talk about with one another that it's healing for other family members to know what's going on inside another family member. But it was, you know, it was just really profound for me to be able to do that with each of them. And that was the extent of it, um, my time out there working with them. But You know, it's so opposite from, and I'm sure you experienced this, Shelley, you know, those people who are close to you that, kind of vanish because they're uncomfortable and they don't know how to support and they don't know what else, what to say. And here's your best friend right in the middle of it. Yeah, that was sure. such a pleasure. Right. It was, there was no question of Kathy saying, I don't know how to support you or I don't know what to say. She was right there in the thick. And I, I can imagine what an impact that had on you and your family. It was, it was loving arms and that's how I always feel when I, even when I talk to Kathy on the phone, that having her presence here was just, I could collapse into her presence and it gave me great comfort. And as far as other people falling away, I haven't really, I haven't really noticed that. It seems like I've been really blessed and that the people who were closest to me still are, they they tolerate or are interested when I bring Ryder up or talk about a memory. We've had wonderful, wonderful support with our friends. Have you found that chemotherapy has caused frequent trips to the restroom, which has left you either in pain or itching or irritated? I know that it's happened to me uh, through my numerous chemotherapy treatments, and I really was at my wit's end. I tried some wipes and didn't really like how that made me feel. And then I came upon Lux Bidet, and Lux is spelled L-U-X-E. And it took me all of, I don't know, about 15 minutes to attach this thing to the toilet seat. And once I did, with a turn of a knob, I was able to rinse myself off with a cool jet of water. And it felt so much more comfortable and really relieved a lot of the pain and the itching, you know, from all of the wiping. I encourage you to check out Lux Bidet by visiting wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. Again, that's L-U-X-E to check out their line of bidets. And I know that if you suffer from these side effects, uh, picking up one of these will really make a drastic difference in how you feel. True trans- transparency. Uh, first off, I would never promote a product that I myself don't use and don't enjoy. So you you know that that's the case here. And if you make a purchase, small uh, contribution does go to the We Have Cancer Show to help offset some of our costs. However, that uh, that 
incentive is not passed on to you in any way. It just helps us uh, here at the wehavecancershow.com. I know you'll enjoy it. Check it out again at wehavecancershow.com forward slash L-U-X-E. The part of his story that resonated with me so well was his love of music. Where did that come from and and how did that help him cope with his cancer? Well, he was always a listener and he was always affected by music. I caught him one day out on the patio when he was about six and the only instrument we had in the house was balalaika. It was a souvenir from somewhere and he had that in his lap and a sad, sad look on his face. And they were cutting down a tree next door. And I said, honey, what are you doing? I'm playing a sad song for the tree, mom. And that was, that. he was a listener, but this was his, um, his empathy and his sympathy coming out through music. He continued, he didn't, he didn't play music until the middle of high school, but he did sing in the choir from the beginning of middle school and found that he really he really loved it. Uh, he accidentally signed up for choir and it wasn't anything he thought he wanted to do, but he fell in love with the process and picked up the guitar in the middle of high school and found that it was a chick magnet. So he got <laughs> on, on campus and, you know, he called it that. He said, yeah, I'm that guy, you know, the girls just swarm me and it's wonderful. <laughs> um, and it's, as far as getting him through his cancer, he always, except for the last round, the first six rounds that he was in the hospital, he um, and he spent a week every every round. He had his guitar with him. He played. He listened to music. He watched videos of his favorite bands. He learned new songs. He played his own songs. He wrote new songs, and he played. And the nurses would always pause and spend a little more time in his room. So it worked for him. But I think the music was really, really therapeutic. And it, it struck me when he didn't take it in the last the last week that he was inpatient. It was um it was remarkable. And I could see that he was really at 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 the end of his rope as far as treatment went. You know, as um we're sharing these stories and talking about Ryder. There's a lot of smiles and laughter between Kathy. If someone's listening to our conversation who is grieving and we've, we've all heard it, you know, I'll never smile again. I'll never let, you know, how will I ever get there? Kathy, wh- what would you say to folks? How did, were you able to get to this place today? Uh, you know, I went through, my mother had cancer about 25 years ago, and it was really fast and really painful, and I didn't get to talk much to her at all during that time. And when she passed, I I wrote to her because, you know, <clears throat> I love what your show is about, which is the fact that it isn't just the patient who has cancer. It's the family. And I very much felt that way that I, it was her final journey, but it was my journey as well. And I didn't get to say a lot to her about 
just, I mean, I, it was, that's the most important, like when you're heading to the end of your life, I mean, there are some really important things that you have in your head and your heart and your soul to talk about. So I wrote to my mother and at a certain point in time, and this is the answer to your question, at a certain point in time, I felt that I had really shared with her everything I wanted her to hear me say. And she wanted to write back. I felt it. I felt weird about it. But I did it anyway. And I allowed whatever thoughts came to me to come onto the page. And I felt like if I had put words in her mouth, I would know it. And it would just be, it wouldn't serve me well. It knocked my grief out. That allowing her to write back, feeling that I was not putting words in her mouth, she was telling me things that I wouldn't have thought to say was the most healing thing. I couldn't even believe the way that I felt, how different I felt. So that was the beginning for me of clearing and understanding the power of our spirits to, to come out of that dark place. So by the time Shelly you know, was going through the grief with Ryder, I mean, the whole point of leave your light on is that Ryder's light, the light that he lived with, that, that made him everything he was, is the light that brought Shelly out of that darkness and allowed her to find her joy again and to bring her own light on. So that's a little bit long-winded, but it's all kind of connected in that we have the ability to continue to connect with our loved ones when they've died. But a lot of people don't know that or don't trust it or feel funny about it like I did. But I'm telling you, it is the best medicine we could ever want for that type of, of grief. Shelly, you're nodding your head in agreement. You know, and, and one of the things I just want to be so careful of and, and i'm sure it's understood but in no way is this meant to minimize what it's like to have a loved one pass but obviously it took time to get to where you are now shelly what would you say to someone listening who may be much earlier in the process and is having trouble seeing that light you know would you have any words of of, of guidance or recommendation? Um, I would spend whatever energy I had um, reaching out and trying to just be with that person, be in their presence again. It, it wasn't always meditation. I'm not good at that because I'm, like I said, I'm a little high strung, but Sometimes if I'm still and I reach out to him, I can feel his presence and that is a comfort. And so I, I would encourage people to believe that there is a continued relationship and 
and then reach for it. Yeah, and I want to, I, I think advice. that's a really good point that you made too. There's a, everyone has their own time frame and they have their own level of pain and their own unique everything about grief is there are some things we all share but there's so much that's so unique to who we are and who we lost and how it happened and all of that and I think what I found with the people that I've worked with is that writing is definitely a way to clear the emotions just simply writing how you really and truly feel changes the feelings. But the other thing is people seem, they, they admit this later, and I was very aware of it with myself and in the people I work with. They're afraid to open their heart again, which is why what Shelley and I are talking about opening up to that loved one, to their spirit, to everything that made you, you know, so grateful to have them in your life. You're afraid to open up to that. And yet, ultimately, when you do, that's when the healing light begins to come into you. So, of course, everyone has to take it, you know, in their own time frame. Sure. Certainly, certainly, I didn't jump right in. I mean, we did some things to to memorialize Ryder, but um, I wanted to die. I, except for the other two children, I asked God to just take me, and that was the the pit of my despair. Um, then I looked at my other two sons and I said, "Well, there's two reasons not to." not to check out. I was never suicidal, but I was really despondent beyond, beyond words. And, and then we started doing, you know, very specific things, setting up a scholarship, putting a bench on his favorite mountaintop, producing his CDs so that we had that. Um, the band was still together and they still performed. And my younger boys sang um, for in Ryder's place. So we did a lot of a lot of things that that helped the process. They were they were concrete things that we could say, okay, this this memorializes Ryder. This is something we can share with people. So tell us about the scholarship fund. It's a it's a scholarship for music students they don't have to be they don't have to be majoring in music in college but it's for the seniors at the local high school where Ryder Woody and Reed all went to school and they have to fill out an an uh, questionnaire they have to be interviewed and they have to perform three minute piece whether it's vocal or instrumental um, it doesn't matter it's whatever their their art form is musically and uh then we award we award the uh the scholarships in may very nice how many have you awarded so far 17 since 2014 wow that's fantastic yeah, yeah. very that's, very proud very proud of the kids they're really sure. something that's that's outstanding what a what a great way to honor his memory 
Kathy, what's one fond memory you have of Ryder? Oh, this is this is a memory that would have been when he was 20, I believe. Maybe somewhere around in there. So a couple of years before he was diagnosed. And I had I am hearing impaired. I had a hearing implant done in California. And I rented a car and I drove up to where Shelly and her family live. And it was a big night because the middle brother, Woody, was performing in a musical at school. And afterwards, they were having a big group of people over to the house. And what I didn't know until that, because the day that I went there was the day they activated my hearing implant. I was overwhelmed. I could not manage all the sound I had coming in. I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted to crawl under a rock and hide. And so I get there, the house is full of people, it's loud, and I'm standing in the kitchen, gripping the kitchen island, <laughs> just like hoping that I don't look like a complete, you know, I don't know what, it's just all very weird. Up walked Ryder. And I hadn't seen him since the last time when he got in trouble and ordered the ninja tool. So he had grown up quite a bit. But he walked over to me. And it was like he put a bubble around the two of us. And he just focused on me, was full of light, full of love, talked to me about his life, seemed just genuinely happy in his life happy to be talking to me. It's like the noise in the room went away and he saved that night for me. And I don't know if he knew, I mean, I don't know if he intuited the whole thing. I'll never know. But coming from where I was, I just thought it was amazingly mature and wise what he did. So that is my all time favorite memory. Shelly, I'm sure that's a really tough question to ask a mother, but do you do you have one that comes to mind? A favorite memory of Ryder? Yeah. Oh, you know, there were so many times he was on stage, but I have to say that was when he was at his absolute best. That's when he he emanated light and love and joy and he just lit up the room and um, I could pick any one of his performances and I have them all videotaped. So I do, uh, I go back and watch them frequently and that just lights me up from the inside out. So probably that, that the quickest answer. I wonder if he's already grabbed Eddie Van Halen for some lessons. (laughs) He did say say after he passed that it was a great career move. (laughs) well i can't think of a better way to close out conversation than on a high note of of fond memories thank you both for coming on the show and 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 sharing uh not just writer's story but i think no i don't think i know that someone's going to listen and that light uh they're going to be better prepared to see the light that perhaps they're not seeing now because they heard 
you, the two of you, uh, you share a writer story. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.